Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back here to the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. An unfamiliar cast with us tonight. My ride partner, Michael Gray. And leave of absence tonight. But nevertheless, we've got Mitch from Mitch and Mike Podcast filling in for my boy, Michael Gray. And, of course, Seattle's finest. The Pacific Northwest. The guru himself for returning cast on our show. Returns to talk about the NFL Combine as he was in Indy and much, much more. All this and a fun-filled packed action in this episode of the Sebi Podcast Show, live inside our recording studios at WNSC. Next. Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. Welcome back to the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, folks. Another fun-filled pack action here inside the studios at WNSC. Folks, Revamp Barbershop. That's right, Revamp Barbershop are proud partners of the Sebi Podcast Radio Shows from beards to fades to low cuts to mohawks. You name it, my guy Chandler has got it. Revamp Barbershop, located on the campus of Central Florida, our proud regional partners of the great Sebu podcast radio show live inside our suites inside the Duke studios at WNSC a late scorching hot evening here 84 degrees in the central Florida area here in the central Florida area the Sebu podcast radio show proud and streaming live in the central Florida area 103.1 FM and streaming on our digital platforms as well yes that's right we can feel it as well And we are back here, folks, on the Sebi Podcast radio show. My man and my ride partner, Michael Gray, and leave of absence tonight. But nevertheless, we have got another DC prospect, another DMV finest, Mitch from Mitch and Mike Podcast, on with us today in filling in for the absence of Michael Gray. Of course, Mitch, how are you feeling today, my man? I'm doing very well, Sebi. I appreciate the opportunity to talk sports with you, to join this great podcast, Sebi podcast <laughs> we enjoy to have you for sure folks this is our debutant of mitch and mike uh on mitch and mike podcast and uh we got we're probably gonna have some issues here mitch you know you're taking my co-host and uh not sure <laughs> how we feel about that <laughs> hey man it's it's cool to uh have a good problem like that what a confidant uh, we're praying for mike as he's dealing with a tough situation right now Definitely praying for him as well here, and our hearts go out to him and his family as they grieve in tough times here for sure. But 
in the thick of things. We're back right here. A lot of things that's going on, Mitch, in the world of sports. You've got Champions League and the soccer aspect. You've got the March Madness, probably one of the greatest sporting events in America in about two to three weeks um, time. And, of course, you got the swing of the NFL Combine debuting, of course, after that to the NFL Draft. And, of course, we're right in the thick of things in the second half of the NBA season. So it couldn't be a better time for uh, us as consumers of sports. Oh, man, you better get your popcorn ready. You better have some patience, man, because there's a lot of good content on uh, from a lot of platforms. But from a sports standpoint, what a time to be alive. (laughs) What a time to be alive here for sure. And that kicks off our first segment today, folks. And we'll start off with the college basketball landscape. You being there, Mitch, right in the heart of the DMV, uh, uh, you know, D.C. and Maryland area. I want to talk to you about a team that you you cover a lot and you actually get to watch uh, firsthand. And you're Maryland Terrapins. Now, this is a team, of course, that's right in the thick of things. And they have a chance to actually lock up a share of the Big Ten regular season uh, 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 title and, and tonight, actually playing in Rutgers as we speak. And um, this team, it's it's not your typical Maryland ter- Terrapins team. Obviously, you know, the greats of Jake Lehman and Melo Trimble, guys like uh, Rashil Suleiman. But there's an identity change in this Maryland team. They, they want to be more zone and defensive minded. Obviously, we know about All-Americans, Anthony Cohen, and of course, uh, Jalen Smith inside. But to you, how do you assess this Maryland team? Well, Sebby, you had a great analysis of this uh, young Maryland Terrapin basketball team. But, you know, if I'd be remiss if I didn't, uh, you know, give a lot of credit to Mark Turgeon. Okay, Mark Turgeon, uh, Sebby, has done a phenomenal job of, you know, doing something that a lot of coaches struggle with, and that's cutting his rotation down. But also, too, allowing two talented twins from this uh, uh, seep of talent here in the D.C. area, and I'm referring to Makai Mitchell and his brother, uh, they got – you know, housed and they got, you know, went out with a sour taste in their mouth. And a lot of people, I said, you know, they challenged Mark Turgeon because of, you know, you, you, you losing two talented tower, you know, big men in college basketball, especially in the toughest conference in America, in the big 10, as I say, you know, that's tough. So he had to, you know, go look at his bench and make a tough decision. And quite frankly, you know, Sebi, I don't know if Maryland basketball would have propelled if he didn't make that decision because what it had is he had a log jam in his minutes. He needed a log jam, um, you know, utilizing his big men. And from a rotation standpoint, you cannot have that. You want to be able to look on that bench. And when you look down and call somebody's name, you don't want to have to have a, a you know, a second stance or, a, you know, questioning that. What he had is he had a, a log jam of minutes and he shut that down by sending those twins home, unfortunately. And you see guys like Jalen Smith, you talked about, uh, being all American this year for that basketball team. Yeah, definitely there for sure. Um, the Big Ten re- as is regarded as prob- the best, you know, conference in America. Obviously, the Big East may have something to say about that, but I, I, to me, it's the Big Ten. You can legitimately say there's ten, if not eleven. Maybe there's a bubble team in there as well that can potentially make this NCAA tournament. Uh, there for sure. Um, I, I want to stay in this conference here. A team like Iowa, to me. Has really caught my eye. Luca Garza is a double double machine. Um, I, I personally think he's the best big in the game outside of Uzebeki. There's no disrespect to him, the big man from Kansas. But uh, Iowa to me is a team that can get an Adlard big in this tournament and potentially can make a deep run. So, your thoughts on them 
and how the Big Ten may help them as they go down the stretch in the postseason. I had a lot of respect for Fran McCaffrey and this tough Iowa basketball team. You talk about the the prize big man and Luca Garza, and you know I'd be remiss if they didn't if I didn't tell you, Sebi, they jumped on those Maryland Terrapins right a couple while back at Iowa. They jumped on them, and if it wasn't for a tenacious effort by Anthony Cowan at home in College Park, I think Iowa might sweep Maryland. But pertaining to that tough, that tough, gritty Fran McCaffrey basketball team, I'm very impressed. I'm really impressed because they have a, a phenomenal true point guard in uh, Tucson who has the composure and feel that's very rare in college basketball. When you have that, you know, you can rely on a tough, grizzled basketball player that's a freshman in the Big Ten of America that's going to travel. And then when you combine Luca Garza, I think a premier big man, the ability to play from an inside standpoint and step out and have with a soft touch and consistent three, uh, he doesn't get any better than that. And when the in the March Madness, when it comes to the nitty gritty, you got to have a big man who can score. You got to have somebody to rely on. And Fred McCaffrey definitely has that. And he's an All American for sure. Yeah, definitely All American for sure. They also got that kid that could shoot the threes in one scope as well. So Iowa, a very complete team in the Big Ten. Uh, I want to stick in the Big Ten here. Michigan and Michigan State highly <laughs> recruited uh, in preseason polls. They were in the top 10. Now both of them are struggling outside of the top 20 and surging right now heading into March. So I know Michigan State had a huge win in College Park this weekend and Michigan starting to find their ropes. So is Jawan Howard's team and also uh, uh, Tom Izzo's team? It's March. We can't count this Michi- these Michigan teams out, can we? You can never count uh, the great basketball state of Michigan out. Uh, you can look at Jawan Howard, you know, look at how he – uh, you got that culture uh, going. But, you know, one thing about Michigan basketball is the standard. And then it doesn't get even better, even, even excuse me, even e- easier for Michigan State basketball of Tom Izzo. You talked about that big win at College Park, man. You know, here in the D.C. area, you know, college game day came. It was raucous at College Park, Sebi. But guess what? Tom Izzo's kids came out and played basketball. Cassius Winston was absolutely on fire. And the ability to have a solid big man inside that dominated with, the tenacity and smarts to get in the head of Jalen Smith early, you know, they jumped out nine or nine, nothing. And to do that at college park, one of the toughest places where Maryland hasn't had any losses at except on Saturday night uh, speaks for itself. Now the Michigan basketball team is a little young, so I'm not sure what we'll see, but guess what, Sebi, that big 10 tournament. What if I told you it was the premier preparation stepping point, for March Madness, because what you're going to have is I don't care what seed you are, you're going to get the best basketball at the lowest seed. And I think right now in the Big Ten, it probably would be, uh, you know, one of those smaller, the smaller teams like a Rutgers or or a know, Minnesota or something or, like, you know, yeah, yeah. like a, a Minnesota with uh, Richard Bettino. But guess what? The Big Ten, you get everybody's best shot. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see upset. Now, for one of those lower teams to make the tournament, of course, Sebby, they would have to get to the championship game. And none of us foresee that. But somebody, if they're not, if their preparation isn't uh, key, like a team like Maryland that's going to have an early bye, they could go out early in Indianapolis. Yep, that's right. Yeah, for sure. And one thing about the Big Ten, when you go on the to get the underdogs best shot there for sure uh let's go to the big east here um mitch i've I've watched the seton hall team all year and i've made this comparison i think Maz powell to me is uh him and ob Toppin to me are right nick and tuck 
as player of the year to me in, in the Wooden Award. These guys have been phenomenal. I made a comparison. I said, Moss Powell to me is the James Harden of college basketball. They both wear 13. They've got amazing beards and they make tough shots in crucial moments and they are certified bucket getters, right? And But the difference in Kevin Willard's team to me this year is that obviously they can space the floor. Romero Jill is an excellent big inside and the return of Mamu. I can't really pronounce his full name, but the return of Mamu to me makes this New Jersey basketball team ever so dangerous because now they having a willingness to defend and they can also put the ball in the hands of Lamar's power late. And you need a guy like that because guard plays huge in March. So to me, Seton Hall checks all the boxes as a final four contender. How about you? I Sebi, I tell you to pump the brakes. And if you were on me and Mike show, I tell you right now, you don't know sports. Only the reason why I would say that Sebi pertaining to Seton Hall. I love Kevin Willard. I love Miles Powell. But the thing is, in March Madness, uh, Sebi, you, as you know, it's tough to make shots. Those shots that routinely go in don't fall. So my thought process is, I don't know if Seton Hall is a team that can play from behind. But I will tell you, you talked about a team and somebody, you talked about a young man in Obi Toppin. Dayton has to be a Final Four contender, Sebi. I mean, when you talk about Anthony Grant, when you talk about Obi Toppin, and when you talk about these great transfers, a senior-led basketball team, hey, in March Madness, that's what you want. But let's talk about Obi Toppin. I mean, tell me a big man in college basketball besides Luka Garza shooting the basketball from a, a field goal a percentage of 60-plus. You know, that's unbelievably phenomenal for somebody like him. And the thing is with Obi Toppin, I've seen him dominate in Maui, uh, as you did. But the thing is with him is he's so composed. He doesn't have a lot of, you know, emotion. He's not going to talk trash. He's going to allow the basketball to speak for itself. And when I look at Anthony Grant's basketball team, I'm looking at a team that goes 10 deep. I'm looking at a team that has no weaknesses from a defensive standpoint. And Sebi, they can make every shot they need to. They run great offense. They run great sets. And they're a team that, Sebi, if they're down 10 in the March Madness tournament, I think they can still have enough firepower to get them on top. Right, right, right. Well, I, I would retort to that. I, I, to me, uh, I, Dayton is, is phenomenal. And if they get that one, if they get on that one line, much credit to them, well-deserved. But to me, I think what you have to deal with is the grind and the toll going into Seton Hall. What I like about the Seton Hall team, Mitch, is I don't know if you've noticed what I've noticed. They're battle-tested. They went yep. into Villanova against Jay Wright's team and beat them. That's not an t- easy thing to do. They went to the confines of Butler and beat them at Butler. They've went. I think the Big East is a conference that prepares you mm-hmm. for – Mm-hmm. going in on the road in neutral site games against uh, op- opponents that you're going to see like that. So what you get in the Big East is much like in the Big Ten, you're going to get the opponent's best shot at their home floor. And I think this couldn't be a better year for Seton Hall. I think they're as advertised and, and, and it's things to come. We'll see what how they do in this year's tournament there for sure. Uh, I want to talk about this Kentucky team. This Kentucky oh, team man. obviously yes, the sir. class of the SEC um, they've got these Lees, right? They've got the Maxi. They've got the Quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think second in the nation in free throw percentage. That bodes well for them in the tournament in close games. So can you assess to us about Calipari's team? They don't got the stars like Booker or Wall or Cousins in the past, but this Kentucky team, what is their ceiling? Hey, Sebby, if I can make a comparison, I'm going to compare this 2020 Kentucky basketball Wildcats team that John Calipari has the – the ability to coach. And I'm going to compare them to Brad Stevens' old Butler team, Sebi, the team that was a 
I think a, a shot in the rim, you know, from going down away from upsetting Duke. You know, I, I just see a, a team that plays basketball. They love to play. And, you know, Sebby, you talked about the Herald of Kentucky basketball classes. You know, we can talk about Carl Towns, Anthony Davis, even the John Wall, um, right. you know, basketball class from a recruiting standpoint. But when I look at this basketball team that's compo- com- com- comprised with, uh, you know, you talked about the leads, you know, the, the quick leads. And, you know, you know, I just see a team that plays together. When you have veteran leadership, you know, like Ashton Hagens, you know, and you got somebody that I think is really underrated from a, you know, NBA probably taking that next step is uh, Nick Richards. The young man has an ability to provide them a rim presence that a lot of teams do not have. And then when you talk about, you talked about that young sensational freshman guard and Tyrese Maxey, who stepped on this, you know, that stage early in the season um, in the Madison Square Garden with the big shot. And then you see him consistently uh, making those big shots for uh, John Calipari. I think it's going to translate well. I think the only question mark I would ask you, Sebi, is would this stage be too big for these youngins? And when I say youngins, you know, they're not those, you know, they weren't the, the number one and the number two, um, you know, recruits coming in that class incoming class like John Calipari has in the, in the past. So some of these guys haven't played on the big stage until now. So right. when, I, when I look at this basketball team, I see Sweet 16 minimum. Going to the Final Four is going to be tough. I have to right. see, but I like John Calipari's team, and I think he's loving his team. Right. I, I agree with that for sure. There's still things to come for Kentucky. Obviously, you know, early on when the, that debacle that happened against Stephen S. Austin in their home floor in Rupp Arena, was uh you know just a crime and so i think they've turned the page they've had a new book and, and a clean slate and and these guys have been playing phenomenal in the sc in these sec and, and sec that's actually down this year but um there's still great great competition there as well and speaking of the sec one of my great coaches that i like in bruce pearl um the narrative for for auburn here is they've been the they were the hunter last year now they're the hunted you know, coming straight off of Final Four last year, Jared Harper and, and all these guys. Now you've got the guys like Samir Dowdy and you've got McCormick back. So we know with Auburn, if the threes are raining, they're pretty much deadly. But to you, what does Auburn have to prove to you and to the committee that they are deserving of a top four seed? I think the biggest thing with uh, Auburn's basketball team and, you know, making that good impression for the committee, Sebi, is first of all, you got to at least get to the championship for the SEC. If you don't get to the championship game for the SEC um, from a tournament standpoint before the March Madness uh, kickoff starts, Sebi, I think that wouldn't be a good impression. And then lastly, I think they got to get a little bit more production from Austin Wiley. You know, uh, when I look at that Auburn basketball team, if I see a hole, if I see a, a weakness, it has to be inside. Because, Sebi, like I said earlier, when you shoot that basketball consistently, for some reason, when the March Madness starts, those shots don't fall. So you got to get tough shots. You got to run sets. You got to right. be consistent on defense. And you got to also rebound the basketball. And Auburn, I think, struggles with those things. Rebounding the basketball and getting stops from an inside uh, defensive standpoint. When I watched it versus LSU, I thought they got a little bit more – they got to dominate it from an inside standpoint. And if it wasn't uh, for that true freshman to make that shot, I think they lose at home to LSU. But – the biggest thing is for Auburn and Bruce Pearl is can he find a big man and can he get some confidence in Austin Wiley? Right. I, I would agree there as well. I, I think depth for this Tigers team, uh, this War Eagle team will be crucial for them if they want to make a, another final four 
run this year under Bruce Pearl. Let's focus on the Blue Buds here. Obviously, you know, the Duke. We we know Kansas and things like that. Um, obviously, you know, Baylor isn't a Blue Blood, but, you know, in history's past, they've had great players as well. So let's look at the top four here um, and, and, and put it in perspective. To you, which out of these, these teams you think are pretenders and contenders heading into this March Madness? That's a great question, Sebi. Uh, first is I'd say I go ahead and say contender. I don't know, Sebi. I'm 23. I believe you're <laughs> right around the same age. I have never seen Mike Krakowski's team not be a contender. And right. it's just from a standpoint of, I think, his pedigree, the ability to get players to play for him, and most of all, believe in the system at Duke. And the thing is, when I'm looking at this Duke basketball team, they got one young man that I think doesn't get enough credit, and it's Vernon Carey Jr. When I look at a premier basketball player and I look at somebody even, you know, looking, watching the Big Ten and Jalen Smith and even Luca Garza, I think Vernon Carey is right in that conversation. I think he's phenomenal, and Coach K really hasn't had a premier big man like this. So I think in the tournament, I think he's going to absolutely be uh, – uh, a primetime candidate to uh, make a lot of stuff and make a lot of money for him in the NBA draft. And then when I look at Cassius Stanley, when I look at this tenacious point guard, you know, I made a comparison to Trayvon Duval. I believe was in the, uh, I, I believe is in the NBA, if not in the NBA G League or overseas. But this young man at Duke, it looked like at times he was sporadic. And I saw Cassius Stanley's growth uh, predominantly really at the, when they played North, uh, at North Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I saw that game and how it, you know, folded out. But the biggest thing is with Duke is Trey Jones. To have a senior veteran leadership point guard is imperative in March because right. it's just that the stage is massive. But you add Cassius Stanley, you add Vernon Carey to that already unique team with Coach K. I think you're looking at a Final Four contender. Right. Um, for all these years and since 2008, the Jayhawks haven't been into a Final Four. Obviously, the the shot of all shots, Mario Chalmers, uh, uh, probably one of the more historical shots in Final Four history uh, uh, there as well. But Bill Self's team hasn't done really, fared really well in these competitions. But uh, could this be the year that they they def finally break through? Obviously, one of the great players they have in Dotson and also the the big man inside in Uzebeki. So this Kansas team is for real. I think themselves and also Baylor are the class of the Big 12. But what is their faith heading to this tournament? I'm be honest with you, uh, Savvy. You said a lot about the phenomenal point guard and Devin Dotson from North Carolina. But Kansas basketball team, Savvy, is going to go as far as Adoka Azubuki. I believe in this last game versus Kansas State. So his foot injury, uh, that's going to be very, very massive for, you know, this Kansas basketball team to do what you just said finally cut those nets down and finish when it when it matters i don't think they're gonna you know get far without adoka azubuki because of how important he is from a rim protector standpoint and ability to offensive rebound uh devin dalton's he's really really good but not going to be good enough unless he has uh adoka azubuki and bill self's a phenomenal coach yeah, no doubt but i just think that that loss right there we have to see what happens how long he's out how long he's on the shelf for again uh, that foot um together the beauty of March, the beauty of March. You just never know what can happen 
for your team there for sure. And some of these teams have been playing great basketball. And they say you want to be playing great basketball heading into March. Lastly here, before we uh, shift segments here, Mitch, uh, tell us this team that is not getting a lot of recognition, maybe uh, that's, you know, not televised a lot that we don't get to see, but a team to you that if all the things are right and they get on, uh, get a good draw in one of these brackets, that can make a deep run. Sebi, great question. And I'm going to give you one, and it's from the Big Ten. And it's a team, Sebi, that you'll, you know, you'll, you'll understand their story if you already now know. Uh, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. If I can put it in today's vernacular, this is the Sleeping Giant. And the Sleeping Giant is, you know, not too far from me, Sebi. The Penn State Nitty Lines wow. by Coach Chambers. Coach Chambers' team, Sebi, has been tremendously bad, I'm sorry, in the Big Ten besides this year. But what they have is a system that they finally – uh, believed in this year and you look at the Big Ten standings you wouldn't believe that Penn State is in the top three and it's absolutely phenomenal in the testament Sebi that if you believe in the process if you play basketball the right way and you do what you need to do in the classroom everything will take care of itself and when I look at this basketball team I see one of the phenomenal players and I'll go uh, a little bit from an underrated you talk about want to see him on the big stage and that's Lamar Stevens right. this young man has NBA game this young man has an NBA body but most of all, he got it out the mud is what they say, right. Sebi. This young man was a true freshman, you know, losing to Maryland, losing to, uh, you know, Michigan State, you know, even Iowa by like 20. But guess what he did this year and every year? He continued to get better. And when I look at this Pat Chambers basketball team, they're going to go as far as this young man takes them. But they got great size, they got great depth, and they understand what it means to play for each other. They're going to give you everything they have. And I remember last year, Sebi, if you remember as well, you remember when Iowa was down, I believe, 20 to Tennessee, and even though they lost, they made a good run. That's the type of feel I get about this Penn State basketball team. Pat Chambers has done his course, and guess what? I think the Penn State Nitty Lions get to a sweet 16 this year. Wow, wow, wow. What a bold prediction there, uh, Mitch. <laughs> That's a very bold prediction there. But that's the beauty of March. That's why we played there for sure. A lot of teams to me, uh, this Creighton basketball team has been very impressive to me. I, I think Absolutely. they're a team that can probably make some noise. Maybe if they get in one of those five or, or six line, uh, they're a dangerous team because I, I, I'm a big believer in guard play. And I think if you have a guy in March, crucial moments happen in today's game where it's more guard oriented. If you got guys that can break down the defense, collapse, get into the lane, maybe collapse and kick out to others and, and, or, or create their own shot. Uh, the Creighton Blue Jays are a team to me that has those type of Caleb capabilities uh, uh, to me. And, and, and another team as well um, is, is also Mark Fustin. I, 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 ah, I yes, sir. I know, Zags, and, right? It, you know, I have much respect for Mark Fuse's team. I know Gonzaga to me, there's always question marks. You know, it's it's the conference. It's a cupcake conference. How do they fare outside of their conference against non-mid-majors? And so we've seen in the past that Gonzaga has made it finally into Elite Eight. They're breaking through into the Final Four a couple of years ago with um Sharshinsky, if I'm not mistaken, and Nigel Williams-Goss. And so maybe it's this year that they get through. Uh, I think they've got one of the two towers in the game as seven-footers inside. And Killian Tilly, to me, is a difference maker in March. So I can never count Mark Fuse's team out. You never can count Mark Fuse's team out because of the great system he has and the ability to recruit, um, you know, from overseas, from a Canada standpoint, or even, you know, at times um, the great state 
uh, excuse me, the great country of like, you know, Slovenia or Ukraine, you know, getting those, you know, unique players. But one thing about Mark Few is winning has never been more important. And I think last year he showed you that he still has a little sour taste in his mouth, how it ended. You look at this Gonzaga basketball team comprised from, you know, you know, you look at depth, they have what they say is, uh, Sebi, they have, they check all the boxes on the paper. Right. They check all but the, the boxes. the question is, oh, the question is, Sebi, when you play against like a Penn State or you play against a Dayton, what type of Gonzaga basketball team are you going to get? And that's what happened last year. So we'll see if this year is a little bit different for Mark Few and that Gonzaga yeah, basketball Yeah, and team. I would agree with you. My only concern to them, they check all the boxes. You talk about three-point shooting inside. You, you talk about coaching. I think they check all the boxes. My concern for them is when they play against physical teams that can hand-check them, that can beat them up and, 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 and kind of push them off their spots to me. When teams get physical with them, that kind of worries me as, as well. And a team that got physical with them, to me, is also another team I think that can make some noise in March, and that is the Seminoles of FSU. Um, I, I, I think this is a team that, you know, you know what you're going to get with Florida State. They're not the best three-point shooting team, but they've got elite defensive personnel. And I think in March, even if the shots aren't there, the defense always travels with this team, and I think they can be very dangerous. I got to agree with you, Sebby. What a great pick. Man. How could we forget about Leonard yeah, Hamilton elite and his great team? But when I when I look at this Florida basketball team, you talk about checking all the boxes. Well, the thing is, what I like about the Florida State basketball team, what they haven't really had, Sebby, is a true guard. And this year, Sebby, they have a combination of two. First is MJ Walker. He's a sophomore, I believe. He was a, a, a I mean, highly touted freshman coming out of high school. And people even thought he was going to play football, Sebby. That's how athletic he is. But he went back to school and didn't go in the NBA. He worked on his jump shot. And you're seeing that. But most of all, Sebby, when I look at this Florida State basketball team, Sebby, you talked about it. They play defense. And they're not going to play defense from, you know, for 20 minutes. They're going to play the entirety of the game until that clock says zero. And if they go to overtime, Sebby, you better have some Gatorade and water because those guys got courses. They got depth. And they got guys that they can throw at any type of moment. And that's why Leonard Hamilton, I think, is so underrated. Because the ability to have guys that you can put in for two minutes and get the best out of them, and they can go to another school and they wouldn't be anybody, I think is absolutely phenomenal. This Florida State basketball team played in um, one of the toughest schedules in America in the ACC. They had a lot of good role games. And unfortunately, they came up short uh, another night versus Clemson. But I will tell you. I see the t- I see the team. I see what type of team is going to translate in March. And when you're looking at it is, I believe, a Final Four contender like you yeah, said. Yeah, definitely there for sure. Florida State, a key note for them. They are in the top five as quad one wins, true quad one wins. That is huge for the committee when they make their selections here. Last year, before we shift here and have our next panelist here on the hotline with us, Mitch, is, you know, the team that's captivated. You know, the, the national realm of college basketball, the darling, you know, the Aztecs, the San Diego State. It, it's people say that obviously Kawhi Leonard is the guy that put him on the map. But I, w- I would dare to say that this is the best team overall that the San Diego, uh, uh, you know, pro school program has ever had. And they're in the top five. They're trying to crack in that one line. Because of that loss to UNLV, the the running Red Rebels, I'm not sure if that can falter them. But your thoughts to them, and can they continue captivate in March the hearts of uh, people like us as underdogs? Sebi, when I look at the San Diego San Diego State basketball team, I look at a sensational guard. I look at a sensational leader, and I look at one of the best players in America. 
Malachi. Oh man, Flynn. he's a bad boy. Sevy had the pleasure to watch this basketball team uh, being a dog fight versus Nevada the other night, and Malachi Flynn said, "You're not going to beat me. I'm going to take care of this team by myself." And he gave that Nevada Wolfpack all, you know, everything he had. The thing is, what the San Diego basketball team is, Sevy. Brian Dutcher's team is starting to click. And you're like, well, how could they start to, start to click with only one loss? Well, guess what? They finally got into a dogfight that you talked about and unfortunately lost the UNLV. But when I see this basketball team, I see a similar, you know, team and makeup in those Dayton, um, you know, that team coached by Anthony Grant. Brian Dutcher has an unbelievable basketball team that's starting to get click on every end. And when I say click, the rotations are clicking. He's confident who he's putting in. He's confident in his timeouts. He's confident in what plays he's, you know, going to draw up out of the timeout. And most of all, he's confident in his adjustments. And I guess when you have Malachi Flynn, somebody who can give you 30 out of his bed without showering and brushing his teeth, <laughs> I think is unbelievable. Uh, this San Diego, San Diego State basketball team, like you said, is probably one of the better ones. And most of all, they have a lot of depth. But Brian Dutcher... You know, he's trying to create his own story. You know, he, he, he you know, got the got the job after, you know, somebody who we all know and have a lot of respect for is not there anymore. So now we're trying to see if Brian Dutcher can do everything he can to create his own legacy with San Diego State basketball. Definitely there for sure. And there is no doubt about that. But the beauty of March, the uncertainty, the unraveling, that's what we love as consumers here on the Sevy Podcast radio show. But folks, do not go anywhere because Seattle's finest, the Pacific Northwest, the guru. They say the guru knows all. We'll see if he truly does live inside the studios of WNSC. And we are back here on our second segment here today. A returning guest with us. They consider himself the guru. They say the guru knows all. We'll put that to the test here. The guru, a couple weeks, a couple days ago, was at Lucas Oil Stadium out there in Indianapolis with all of the draftees for the NFL Combine. The finest, the Pacific Northwest is on the hotline with us. Luke, how you doing today, my man? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, Sebi, how you doing, brother? Hey, how bro. you doing? It's always nice here in the East Coast where you say that we're in the future and you're in the past. <laughs> yes, sir, man. It's always good to talk to the guys in the future, man. That future. How's, how's, it, how's the nighttime over there, man? What is it, like 9 o'clock over there? Yeah, no, no. It's probably around, like, you know, almost 8 o'clock here on the East Coast. But oh, I know yeah. in the West Coast, you guys are living it up for sure. For sure. <laughs> Yes, sir. All right. All right. Awesome here. And, of course, we've got our guy Mitch here. Now, this is the segment here, Guru. Now, I want to talk to you in perspective of uh, what you saw out there um, at the Combine. And, and the guy that really stood out to me is Henry Ruggs III. Uh, we've seen all the clips. We've seen stuff on Twitter. We know he's in a supreme athlete. He can jump off the gym and play in basketball. But the speed, you know, they say speed kills. Uh, 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 guru, explain to us what you saw. Yes, so Henry Ruggs. Basically, you guys saw the clip, man. I mean, everybody anticipated what he was because I'm a film guy. So the film, the Iron Sky, don't lie. He showed this guy's a supreme athlete. His main ability is his speed. 
and we saw that at the combine, man. We saw that with his 40-yard dash. I mean, he was smoking. And the funny thing is he was mad he ran a 4-2-8. He was upset. He was like, man, I do faster than that. So that's incredible. But the thing is, though, this guy's a great receiver as well. He could run real good Chris route. Um, he got excellent hands. So he's a very – he just he made himself a lot of money going in. I think he definitely got himself in the, in the running as far as being one of the best receivers or top receivers picked in this draft. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. And we, we, when you look at the combine here, they say that this is one of the best wide receiver, uh, 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 you know, years um, in, in some time. Obviously, you got a guy that I really love in C.D. Lamb, you know, out of Oklahoma who played for Lincoln Riley. Um, you've got guys like Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy um, coming out, those great Alabama wideouts. So to you, the depth of this wide receiver class, is it one where you're going to see a lot of teams start trading up? for uh, one of those guys? You know, the thing is, I think you don't really got to trade off for this guy. I think you have, overall, there's a map, there's a lot of diversity as far as receivers. You have guys who could take the top off, you know, like 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 Henry Ruggs, like we mentioned. And you guys, guys who are route-running specialists, you know, like uh, um, Justin Jefferson over there in, 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 in LSU. So you have special guys. You got guys that could be a specialist inside our slot receivers. My guy, Van Jefferson, from um, Florida. So it's different um, assets of receivers. That's what makes this receiver pool so beautiful. And also, you got a big guy like Clay uh, um, from Chase Claypool from um, Notre Dame, the 6'4 the beast, 235. So you have such a variety of receivers to fit your skill set, uh, to fit whatever your team have in store. So, uh, so if you're an NFL organization, it's whatever fits your need. You have a pickings for that. Yes, there for sure. The guru with us on the hotline there. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, I love the guru, man. I got a got a better tongue, man. My Twitter handle is the sport guru, so somebody gotta get a trademark. <laughs> <laughs> but now, Lou, I got a quick question for him for you. You talked about Sebi talked about the depth. They talked about the notoriety from this receiver class. I want to touch bases on the defensive side. I want to touch bases from a position that I think is really, really underrated. And I want to talk about the slot cornerback position, Lou. You saw a lot of guys playing corner, but I want to talk about one guy who's a really what they call a chess piece, and that's Anton Winfield Jr. We know his pops. We know the credi- the credibilities there, and we know the tape, like you said, the eye on this guy doesn't lie from a tape standpoint. But when I look at Anton Winfield and I see these NFL defensive coordinators trying to find those guys that they can put in the nickel, when you look at the Tyron Matthews will finally win in the Super Bowl, what is the, the gifs? What is your outlook? What do you think Anton Winfield's future looks like in the National Football League? Oh my gosh. If you if you see my tape, if you see what I know about hey Sebi, does this guy know how I feel about Antoine Wilfield Jr., man? That like he is, oh my God. I I'm loving this man. Talking about a man crush, man. Talking about my favorite player in this draft. I'm so happy you brought him up because I was gonna bring him up if you didn't bring him up. So Absolutely. you know how excited about I am about this kid. I think he's a complete player. I think the scouts and the GM don't overthink this guy, man. He does it all as far as stopping the run, as far as impact. You put the film on, you will see number eleven flashes every single week. I've been putting one Minnesota team again without my man number eleven making play. Man, he's a flat out football player and he's a team multiplier. Man, he's a force multiplier. That defense stepped up, they were top 25 defense because of number 11. And you don't showcase that in the analytics, 
He makes guys better with his leadership. He was a captain at Minnesota. So I just love everything about Antoine Winfield, and I think he's going to be of huge value. And I have him as the best safety in this whole entire draft. Now, now yeah, it's every- my problem to me. Uh, uh, you know, I'm an SEC guy and, and also a Florida guy. So uh, we've got a guy here in the SEC that's coming out that's potentially a top 10 prospect in Grant Delpit from LSU. So to you, what makes in the big board, in, in your mock draft, that Antoine Winfield Jr. ahead of Grant Delpit? Oh, absolutely, man. The eye on the sky don't lie. When it comes to a complete safety, as far as his hips moving, as far as his route recognition, and when you're talking about what, you're, what you just said about covering the slot receivers, that is what he is. He's a scheme versatility. Antoine Winfield Jr. gave you all that type of versatility. He could get he could get you on a deep safety. He could come out there in the box. He could also cover the, the a, a running back or tight end, even receivers in the slot. So he's a complete, complete um, safety. He does everything well. My man Grant Delford, very physical. You know, I call him Tarzan. He's a very physical safety, but also I don't think he has issues with his eyes. Um, you can see some of his gameplay this year. He actually did, did, did he he went he played lower than he did from his sophomore tape to his junior tape. So I'm not sure if he if he was playing conservative because he didn't want to get hurt this season because he knew he was coming out. But he basically had a less of a season this year than he did last year, which I was kind of weary about. So, uh, and, and and at the end of the day, I also believe he has a little bit of tight hips, and he's not as fast. Like you said, he ran like a four six, I believe, at the combine. So we know his top end speed is not completely there, but he is a football player. But I think when you put on the tape side by side. I don't even think it's a close call. I think it's Antoine Winfield Jr., number one safety. And I also think it's um, number two safety is McKinney from Alabama. And I have a third safety to me. I think Danfield, I know a lot of people love him. He's from the SEC. But I don't even have him as really my first-round safety. Absolutely. And, Sebi, if you don't mind, I just wanted to ask him one more question. And, uh, my guy, uh, Lou, you've been at the combine. You probably know his name. I want to know if it's for real. You know, they say sometimes newspaper sales. I want to know if his tape's going to sell. I want to know if his interviewing process is going to sell. And I'm referring to the young man, Jeremy Chen. You see the intangibles. You see the measurements. You see the comparisons to, like, the Obi Melifonwu from a combine standpoint, even the Byron Jones standout. But when I look at this Jeremy Chen's film from Southeast Illinois University, I see a young man that I think is uh, really, really going to – fulfill his destiny in the NFL. I have a comparison. I want to see if you agree. And that's Marcus Williams, the young man from New Orleans, the Saints, the safety from Utah. I want to know, do you see similarities? And most of all, are you buying the tape? Is it going to sell for Jeremy Chen? Great question, man. I mean, he, Jeremy Chen is definitely uh, one of the names that's popping. Um, it's one of the buzz names. It's one of the names you put up on te- uh, on films. It's definitely popping, man. Um, I think that's a great comparison. Uh, that's an absolutely great comparison with uh, Marcus Marcus Williams from from the Saints. Um, he he definitely he's a ball hawk. Um, I like the aspect of it. He got great instinct. Um, this tape don't lie. I think he's gonna transition well, like you mentioned. I think he's gonna transition well. Uh, you looked at this film and and also his stats and his measurables. He looked like he should transition smoothly uh, to the next level. Yeah. Definitely, for sure. A lot of great prospects that we have here in this year's uh, NFL Combine. The Guru live a couple of days ago at Indy there for sure. Now we all know this is a quarterback-driven league, right? This is it's. Yeah, I know all of the great players. To me, the best player to me in this draft is Chase Young out of Ohio State. But we all know that, of course, it is a quarterback's league. So you've got 
I, I want to know about Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, a guy that you like, of course, Guru, and Justin Herbert. He's your guy. So, and, and also Jalen Hurts as well. Um, so, and, and when you look at the landscape of the quarterbacks, what do you see in order, and, and how do you see their games translating into the NFL? Oh, absolutely, man. I think it's a very it's a superb quarterback class. I really like the quarterback class. I think you could see up to four quarterback pick in the first round, man, maybe in the top 15. Um, I honestly see four to five quarterback pick. I think a lot of guys made some money. Uh, obviously, Joe Burrs for obvious reasons. Uh, I mean, he got the intangibles. You got things you can't, you can't really, you can't put money on. You can't put numbers on. Very accurate. He makes throws and, and tight throws. I mean, he is the kid is special. Uh, There's just something about him that it factor. Um, he makes the team better. He makes people better. So uh, I think that's going to translate as well, man. I mean that what he did at LSU playing against those type of defenders that that shows. Uh, but obviously, Tour, in my opinion, is the best quarterback in this draft. Um, obviously, he has his injuries issue, but this dude is super accurate, man. I mean, you can't. I mean, the tape don't lie. He make every throws. Um, he's very mobile. He's he's his high high IQ. I mean, his game um, fits the new the new style of offense, the new way, the new wave of um, um, NFL and quarterback play. So I think that's a big one. And obviously, my guy Justin. I think Justin Herbert solidified himself as the third quarterback. I know everybody's gonna fall in love with love with all that Mahomes, and I could see a team taking a jump for him over Justin. But I think Justin Herbert is um, it, because he's not flashy. He he does everything right. Um, just um, but love obviously he got that superhuman arm. So he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna make a lot of GM a lot of team fall in love with him. But I'm very weary about that interceptions, man. You know how I feel about guys that throw picks. You throw picks in in college, you're gonna throw more picks in the league. It's just the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> that for you, that for you, Mitch. Go ahead. Absolutely, Sebi. Um, and Luke, great analysis. I got one question from you, and it's regarding Jalen Hurts. When you look at a young man uh, from two historic programs in Alabama and Oklahoma, and Sebi talked about that phenomenal Lincoln Riley offense. Does Jalen Hurts' ceiling uh, exceed expectations, uh, Lou? Do you see uh, Jalen Hurts being a guy in the NFL as a backup, or do you see superstar all over him? When I hear about his character, when I hear about how he handled the situation of um, taking the, 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 the change very well with Tua in Alabama from the coaching, stand, ch- coaching change standpoint, talk to me about Jalen Hurts. Is this kid for real? Or is he just a story that's going to end very soon? Oh, oh man, I love Jelly, man. I, I talked to Jelly at the Senior Bowl, met him myself. In measurables, he looked good. Um, he physically, he looks the part, man. He's a legit six one and some change. I, you know, stood next to him. I'm six one and some change, so he's a little bit, a little bit got me a little bit. So I might give him maybe six two, but he's he fits the. Or he was actually wearing cleats then, so maybe that's why. But anyhow, um, he fits the profile, man. I think. Um, uh, in this new age of NFL, I don't see when you mention superstar. I don't see that. I don't believe he was a superstar in college. I don't think you're going to be a superstar in the league if you were a superstar in college. That that just don't happen. It's it's, it's a transition most likely. Um, but I think he, he brings so much. He got intangibles. He brings value to a locker room. Um, he could brings that. He, one of the things he brings is he's a captain, um, and also he brings that his scheme for um, versatility. He could bring obviously he could run a couple of um, read options. He could do a lot of mobility stuff in the offense, but um, he's more of a game manager type. I see him more of a, of, a, of a Tyrod Taylor type guy. I think he will come in for a guy, for a team. You know, he might be a, a bridge guy in a couple of years, but be a backup to somebody get hurt, make some plays. But I just see him more 
the ceiling being more of a Tyrod Taylor in a, in a sense. Definitely great analysis there for sure. I want to focus on the running backs here. Um, there was a, a prospect here um, from the Miami Dolphins here that lives in the Central Florida area, and he told me um, he wants to focus on the tailbacks. He thinks Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin and, of course, uh, uh, Travis Etienne out of Clemson, two elite backs that we know from the college games. They're going to be late first-rounders, and they're going to potentially help a lot of playoff contenders. Of course, a team like uh, Mitch, who's a huge Steelers fan, and of course you, uh, Lou, being out there in the Pacific Northwest, wouldn't Russell Wilson would love to have one of those tailbacks. So to you, the running backs, how, do you, how can you evaluate these two guys? Oh, man, I love, um, I love Jonathan Taylor. I think he's my, he's my number one running back coming in here. Uh, everything, the only thing he does is produce. Um, and I was so excited to show that he also could throw, uh, he could run. And I was a love when he runs his 4-4. And also, most importantly, I love that when his on-field performance, he showed his ability to catch the ball. Being in a Wisconsin, you don't have the ability to showcase that. So that, that being out here on the on-field um, work, he was able to showcase his, uh, his, his ability to catch the ball off the backfield, which is crucial for him. And I think – uh, um, I think he's checked all the boxes on that, and I think he solidified himself, in my opinion, as the um, at least in my board, as the number one, <clears throat> excuse me, running back in this class. Definitely that for the Mitch. Go ahead. Absolutely. Um, I want to, you know, I want to go to the big guys, Sebi and uh, Lou. I want to show the big guys some love, and I'm talking about these phenomenal, massive linemen. When I look at the Makai Beckins, when I look at the Tristan Wirfs, even the Andrew Thomases. I get excited. You hear the jubilation in my voice. But if you could, the guru, tell me who is the best pure lineman out of the class. And boy, can they run, can they move, and they sure are agile. Oh, mercy. Mercy Olago, man. That dude, Christian Wirfs. Jeez, man, that dude got the biggest size. Paul, he, he can run. He can run. You, you can't help but see the massive thighs on this dude, man. He is built perfectly to be a 15-year pro left tackle, man. His lower extremities are built perfectly to withstand pass rushes, and that's why he moves laterally excellent. I mean, I love him. And Didrick Wiles from Alabama, holy smoke, you can see his hips move and his fluidity. He looks like a freaking DB out there playing um, lineman. So I think he's those guys are elite type of guy. Obviously, I didn't even mention Mikel Beckling. Man, I didn't even mention him. So I love this offensive line class. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, you couldn't really see offensive line because the, the game was changing. Now, a few years now, you see elite offensive line. You're gonna get uh, you're gonna get at least three to five really really top tier offensive tackles in this draft, man. I, I'm really excited for that. I'm really and I but I think Tristan Wars and Dridgick Wiles are the two headliners in this uh, in this offensive line class. Definitely, definitely there for sure. Uh, you know, there was Russell Wilson in the third round, Dak Prescott in the fourth round, Tom Brady in the sixth round, Richard Sherman and Bobby Wagner in the fifth round. So my question to you, Guru, who is the sleeper? Who is the darling? Maybe in about four or five years past, where we look back in this draft and be like, wow, that was the standout sleeper that not a lot of people had rising on their stocks i mean it's it's gonna be hard for me to say a lot of sleepers it's a deep class but i'm gonna get you a couple of guys that i don't think most people are talking about that i think is gonna be a household name per se does that kind of that that's that's what i do um i start with the running backs man um i think this guy joshua kelly from ucla people are sleeping on him i think he's a he's gonna be a complete back he kind of reminds me of a damian williams but a little bit better than damian williams the kansas city running back 
the guy could catch out the backfield. He could run in between the uh, the, the tackles. I think he's going to be a really, really, really gem um, in the next level. So fantasy guys, watch out for this guy, man, from UCLA, Joshua Kelly. Um, he's one of those guys. And also one guy that I love, man, like at the corner position, you know, the guru. I'm all about that corners, man, the secondary. Dude, yeah. this dude from Utah. Um, I think he's the most complete corner in the draft um, I, I, right now. The most healthy, complete corners. So his name is Jalen Johnson from Utah. That's my dude right there, man. He does everything right, man. He killed it out the combine. When it comes to man-on-man coverage, when it comes to sticking receivers inside, outside, off coverage, he does it all, man. He kind of reminds me of more of like a Aqib Talib. He's a younger version of Talib, man. Watch out for that kid. In a few years, he's going to be a legit all-pro um, press corner type guy, man. Jalen Johnson from, um, from um, Utah. Also, talking about guys, my tight ends, man. I love my tight ends, and but I also want to go. It's not even my tight ends. I think Hunter Bryant and also Harrison Bryant from Florida, um, from FAU. Harrison Bryant is by far flat out the best tight end in this draft. Um, he's the best tight end. He's going to be a future All-Pro for years to come. Harrison Bryant from Florida International. You're going to hear about him um, as the months progresses, man. So those are some of my guys that um that I think you guys is going to be household names. As far as you know, the next this season and the next season to come, man. Hey, Chevy, I got one thing before uh, Lou. You let Lou go. I just want to ask him: Is the hype really? I saw it in the you know the comp the Senior Bowl, excuse me, and I saw a little bit of his workout of the combine. Talk to me about the tight end from Dayton, if you could, Lou. Talk to me about Adam Trotman. When I see Adam the young Trotman. man, he's not those guys. You know, when you go pick up pick up basketball, he's gonna be your first pick. But when you watch him run routes, when you watch him block. And when you watch him catch the football, you turn your head and you're like, who is this kid? Talk to me if you're buying the same thing I'm selling and as well. And what type of scheme do you think he would excel in? I don't trust, man. It's absolute. This is a very, very good tight end draft, man. And my boy right here, like I mentioned, Harrison Bryant from FAU, he's a complete tight end. I mean, you're looking about, you want a George Kittle. Like I mentioned to you, Harrison Bryant from FAU, that's that dude. I love also the U the UW tight end. Uh, uh, yep, that's that's where uh, I was. Hunter going, Bryant. The Hunter, Hunter Bryant. That is my guy, Guru. Yeah. Yes, Hunter Bryant. He's more of a Jordan Reed. You talking about a detachable tight end that's going to come in and get you with those thousand yards, uh, eighty catches. He's a pure slot receiver, basically built as a tight end. Hunter Bryant from University of Washington is my rank as my uh, I'm second tight end. So now my third tight end becomes to your guy. Uh, um, uh, your man, tr- um, trust me. I think he's a he's solid guy. He's he does everything well. He could block. That's the thing. He could absolutely block. He could run routes. But one thing is, I don't think he has his hands the same hands like my man, um, Harrison Bryant from FBI. Okay. That that dude make catches. I mean, you he makes baseball catches. You got to go watch the tape on this dude. But the the your guy from Florida International, he is a he is a top three tight end in this draft. And okay. my, in some scheme, he might even jump over um, Hunter Bryant because Hunter Bryant is more of a receiving threat rather than a complete tight end. And I, I don't want, you know, I, I tried to stay out of the English class. I should have took a little bit more speech. So excuse me if I don't pronounce his name right. But talk to me, man. This guy ran a 4-4-3, 6-8, and he played in the, one of the premier conferences in America. And I'm talking about Big Albert O. I think it's uh, Ogumake. I can't even say it. But Big Albert, the tight end from Missouri, is he for mm-hmm. real? Is he just a project or is he just a freak of nature? Oh, man, he's uh, – see, this is the thing about some guys I just killed a combat, but the tape he's the tape don't really show him that. he's. 
he, he's a fast. Yeah, he shows his speed, but he has a lot of incons inconsistency in his game. He has a lot of – he drops a few more balls than I – I want – I prefer him to drop at that position personally. Um, and also, he's not a very good inline blocker as well. So, but, I mean, he has high potential. There's certain things you can work with, you know. But as far as the first-round grade, no, I'm not going to fall for the full force um, speed time. I'm not going to fall for that. Um, but I think the Titans, those three Titans we mentioned are more pure guys. I think he's going to be more of a project guy, maybe in three to four years. But those guys will come in and, and produce effectively sooner. Right. Lastly, your guru, before you leave here, I want to uh, shift again to the defensive side, uh, the side that you like the most. So uh, every team that we see where Aaron Donald has done reinventing the inside, uh, uh, the, the inside game uh, for defensive tackles. It used to be back in the days, you know, with Warren Sapp and, and Reggie White, you can move them around and, and defensive tackles, you know, if they get like five or six sacks, you know, they're, they're considered all pro selections. But now we see what Aaron Donald's done. And everybody's looking for the next Aaron Donald. And the guy to me that I think that is potentially a top 10 pick is Derek Brown from Auburn. And, you know, I, I flashed the tape and I watched a lot of Auburn games this year. He flashed to me tackles for losses, uh, you know, tackles off the backfield, hurries, pressures, sacks. So uh, to me, he looks like a, a all-around defensive tackle. So what's your evaluation on a guy like that? Oh, man, that guy's a monster, man. Yeah. I mean, you talking about a monster. You talking about right. a dude? That is a dude. And he is – he deserves all the praises. Without Chase Young, this guy might be the best player in the whole entire draft. That's how much of a yeah. dude he is. Wow. He, he's a disruptor, yeah, man. He is a, a total disruptor. He disrupts everything. He can disrupt your run. He can disrupt your pass. The thing about an interior lineman that has that type of ability is he could – he's – you can't scheme against him. He can stop any type of plays you want to run offensively because he's right in the front of the quarterback. So if they want to pass, run, anything, he's right there disrupting, disrupting everything. And he's a force, man. I mean, I am high on this dude, man. Right, right. definitely for sure. Everybody looking for the next Aaron Donald. That might yes. be him. He's in hey, the total package for sure. And, Sebi, I'll make this quick. I just wanted to ask him. You guys, if you, if uh, Derek Brown is a monster, I can I can think this young man, guys, he must be a freak from Jupiter or even Mars, and that's Isaiah Simmons. When I look at the tape, right, it's for real. When I look right. at the tape, he has Cape Sebi and Lou that I think that the Washington Redskins are salivating over. And then when you want when you look at the combine, and then you listen to what Dabo Sweeney said about the best defensive player he's ever coached, I want to know is he is he for real? Is Isaiah Simmons going to be an absolutely superstar, which I perceive him to be? That's the crazy thing about this draft, bro. It is so for real. It is so for real, man. Take it back to the 90s. It is so for real, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, it's so crazy. Yes, he is that good. And we haven't even talked about probably the best player. It might be in the whole entire draft. That's in Chase Young. We haven't even We haven't talked about Chase We haven't even talked about it. That's right. how nice and top tier this draft is, man. You, I mean, it feels good to be in the top five, top seven pick in this draft, man, because you have Hall of Fame type players, man. You have can't miss type players in the top right. tier of this draft, man. Yeah, yeah, and I think sure. I think the best thing, Sebi and Lou, is that the thing is about this draft, a lot of GMs are going to sleep better at night because the guy they pick probably yeah. will going to keep them a job for the next four or five years. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely for sure. Absolutely for sure. Uh, there's a lot of all-pro selections potentially in this draft there for sure. This, this is it's probably a, a good problem to have, right? 
you want to pick somebody, but you got to go with the best available on the board. So <laughs> these GMs definitely have their work cut out for them. A pleasure having the guru with us as our prime guest with us tonight. Before you leave here quickly, Guru, tell us where all of our audience and our listeners can stream you on your social media platforms. Oh, y'all can find me basically the main the main platform, IG, the gram. Gram it up, man. I love the gram at Guru's Film Room, man. Just like that. Gurus with an S Guru's Film Room. Yes, indeed. You heard it for Guru himself, the Pacific Northwest there for sure. Always a pleasure to have him in NFL Talks there for sure. But folks, do not go anywhere because when we come back... Hi, I'm Alwyn Morgan Jr. with Precise Tax and Accounting Services in Central Florida. And I would love to give a special thanks to the SEBI Podcast crew and all that they do to keep me updated with everything sports during this busy tax season. Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the changes in our new tax law? Or would you just love to have the peace of mind that comes with dealing with a well-informed professional? If this sounds like you, please reach out to us for any of your tax, accounting, or small business needs, and be sure to let us know that SEBI Podcast sent you. Thank you. Our last and final segment today, folks, is proud and sponsored by our proud partners. That is RDV Sports Complex. RDV Sports Complex, a capacity of 38 acres wide. My partner and my friend, Miss Stephanie Org, the director of the gym for all of your fitness needs, floor hockey to curling to ice hockey to fitness weights to basketball gyms. You name it, RDV Sports Complex has got it. And it is the place for you. RDV Sports Complex. Proud partners of the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. And we are back here, Mitch, now, and back in our NBA segment here. Now, uh, quick updates here. I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but what a run by the Michigan State Spartans. They, are, I believe, are <laughs> on some huge, like, I, I think 25 to 3 run or, or some, some crazy, uh, uh, you know, run <laughs> at the moment. But they're back in the ball game here, but the Terrapins are still struggling in New Jersey. Yeah, Sebi, you made a good stretch earlier. I mean, a good point earlier. We're in the home run stretch, Sebi. And what you are is you're getting teams best foot. And you talked about, we talked about early in the, in the break, we talked about how Penn State jumped out, I believe, up 17. And now you see a four-point four lead. And then pertaining to that Maryland basketball team, I don't know if they left their uh, their basketball uh, gear and their preparation in College Park down 20 at halftime because it's not looking like it translated very well in Piscataway, New Jersey. Yep, definitely there for sure. And from the collegiate game, we enter the pro game uh, here. And this is the point of our segment here, Mitch, where we'll debate the top five in the power rankings in the NBA. Yes, and we'll sir. get your thoughts on there for sure. So as it stands, the constant all year long has been the Milwaukee Bucks. Mitch, they're on pace for 70, game, 70 wins this season. That would be third all-time behind the 96 Bulls and, of course, the 2016 Golden State Warriors uh, who had 73 wins, I believe, at that time and the record as it stands. So the Milwaukee Bucks, they've been dominant all year long. They are the top team in this week's power ranking, of course. Number two, the King James and the Los Angeles Lakers. With the absence of Anthony Davis, they've kept afloat. At number two, number three is where it changes. The 
Houston Rockets go from six to three. They actually made the biggest jump from last week to this week, staying at that three line. My Boston Celtics, that's right, I bleed green. My Boston Celtics, they stay at remain at four. And of course, the Clippers remain at five. And that is the power rankings for this week's anything that jumps out to you. Hey, Shebby, we got to talk about that team that you said that's number three. And the only reason why we got to talk about them, Shebby, is because they had a catastrophic loss yesterday. I don't know if the win helped Spike Lee and Jim Dolan get back on the board <laughs> or if it hurt Mark, Mike D'Antoni and a little bit of deja vu, what they say, in the great state of New York. But, hey, when I see this Rockets basketball team and I see them three on the power rankings, i just like to say something very, very easy. Pump the brakes, my friend. I agree. Right. Right. I, I, I would I would agree on that as well. Now, I would say this that what what the Houston Rockets are doing, they're 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 like a Lamar Jackson in mm-hmm. a sense. Like right? mm-hmm. they're revolutionizing Great basketball. Comparison, they're, they're they're revolutionizing basketball in the standpoint of they're doing something that is unconventional. You know what I'm saying? Not a lot of teams are doing, but their mindset, Mitch, is we have two MVPs on the court at all times. Mm-hmm. And we believe if the floors is spaced out where they can have room to operate, we will have the best chance, for, in their sense, I mean, to make it <laughs> a deep run in the postseason. And that's their mindset. Daryl Morey, we know he's another Mark Cuban. They are aggressive. Yep. And they are aggressive GMs that like to think outside the box. And I give a lot of credit to him and Dan Tony doing this. But to me, the great Pat Riley who coached the Knicks in the 90s and mm-hmm. who has groomed Eric Spolster now as one of the elite coaches, elite coaches. in the NBA, oh, has always said in a quote, no ring, no rebound, no ring. And I stand by that. And I think that's going to be a problem because in the Western Conference, the likes of Rudy Gobert, the likes of Nikola Jokic, the likes mm-hmm. of JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, and Anthony Davis and that three-headed monster that the Lakers have. How Don't forget Nurkic and Whiteside. Right, right. And Whiteside as well. How are they going to use? How are they going to neutralize people like that? And that's my concern to them. So I, the, the, I, the 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 Rockets, I, I I like what they're trying to do, but I right. I just don't think it's sustainable. I gotta agree with you, uh, Sebi. And I just want to just make a comparison. You remember how when we were growing up, you know, we saw the the the, the baseball film with Brad, uh, uh, the 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 actor uh, and, and Brad, but. Look at the money ball concept, right? This whole analytic thing with the great Oakland athletics and the, right. you know, the, the ability to study numbers and it's going to build success. Well, I would like to ask you, Sebi, what are, what is Dale Murray and Mike D'Antonio studying? Because you can't tell me <laughs> with, with a Clint Capella, you know, minus Richard Robert Covington and with a Russell Westbrook and you see how the, the, the improvement of Daniel House Jr. And even the young Ben McLemore looks like his career might have been resurrected in H-Town. I don't see how they are a better team without Clint Capella. Actually, Sebi, probably might have had Houston maybe getting to the finals because of how efficient and impactful Clint Capella is. You replace him with Robert Cummington. You put him. You put the ball in Russell Westbrook and James Harden hand. Yeah, they're taking um, – look, I'm looking at the, the box score from yesterday. Uh, 22 plus 19 combined. What? Uh, 51 shots between those two guys, uh, Sebi. I think it's terrible brand of basketball. And then, of all things, you lose if you can lose to the 19 and 42 Knicks who put up 125 points on you. <laughs> what do you think, LeBron James, uh, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard, or even the young, talented you talked about, the Nikola Jokic 
and uh, Jamal Murray, young Mike Malone, Denver Nuggets, right? right, I right, just, right. I'm not buying it. Right, I think right. it's going to um, actually be a quick, early exit. And James Harden, I think his uh, condition of not winning in the postseason is going to continue. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned the Utah Jazz and one of my favorite coaches in Quinn Snyder, what he's oh, done, and, and the big stifle time, Rudy Gobert. What are you going to do with them? as he's also a double-double machine inside there as is, is well. And, so and you better and you have a good great... relationship with God and just pray. <laughs> you make a good uh, 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 narrative here about James Harden. To me, uh, there aren't a lot of, uh, uh, you know, differences. When you think about Clayton Kershaw in, in the majors, right? right, an elite, one of the more, more if not, I think you think about Sandy Koufax, you think about the Nolan Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, Randy Johnson, I think, you know, Clayton Kershaw is in that elite class as one of the greatest pitchers to ever play. Yes, but sir. what is the narrative about him? Great in the regular season, but struggles in the postseason. Peyton Manning, you know, some reveres him as the GOAT, but sometimes he's come up short in the playoffs. Elite, and and I mean eye-popping in the regular season. Postseason, that's only been the knock on him. So I see similarities in James Harden, right? Uh, Absolutely. I don't know if you heard me choking. Right, right. First ballot Hall of Fame. But my concern to them is you put the ball on Russell Westbrook and he's having a great. And I mean, Russell Westbrook has been great. and He's been putting amazing numbers. But my concern for them is come playoff time in a seven game series, when you have teams that you're not playing in a second of a back to back, when you have teams that have elite coaches that can scheme schematically in a seven game series, that is my only concern for them. Absolutely. I got to agree with you. And uh, we, we move a little bit forward. I'm getting excited. I'm getting great jubilation, uh, Sebi. And I, I'm looking at that last team, the power rankings. And what if I told you, Sebi, it was one team in the power rankings that wasn't as high. And I know you like five. That's pretty high, but it's not one or two. But when I see that rating, I think it's ranking. I think it's perfect for that Los Angeles Clippers team. I think it's the ranking is, is, is low management-esque. Because what you're telling me is, I don't think any team in basketball, Sebi, can beat Doc Rivers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George and company in seven games. Because what they have is, Sebi, they have the depth, they have the ability to switch from a one to five standpoint, from a rotation standpoint. And then when you look at the bench, you know, I hate to say it, Sebi, but in the postseason, a lot of unpredictability happens. And um, that's really called injuries. So I think if the Los Angeles Clippers did, uh, God forbid, you know, experience a little bit of travesty from an injury standpoint, I still think this this team is guaranteed, Sebi, uh, even with an injury, I think, to get to the Western Conference Finals. Because when I look at the makeup, when I look at the schedule, and I look at the great ability to load manage your superstars, I think it's going to translate very well in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I would agree with that for sure. And one uh, thing I want to add with the, with the Clippers to me, they have a thing that probably – maybe only the Celtics can say they have three guys on the floor in crucial moments that they can say they can put the ball in their hands and they can create their own shot. And that's Paul George. Mm -hmm. That is Lou Williams. And of course that is the reigning finals MVP and Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. And I think in the postseason that bodes well for you with Doc Rivers having that flexibility and that luxury to use any of those three guys. And of course, defensively, nobody has the perimeter personnel that the Clippers have. And I think that bodes well for them in the postseason as well. My only concern to you, mm-hmm. and, and I'll bring this back to you, Mitch, is with the Clippers, is their mindset is the Battle of L.A., right? right. We, we want to show our superiority. We want to show we're right. the best team in L.A. And we are, their minds are so focused on beating the Lakers and getting to that highly anticipated mm-hmm. Western Conference Finals that we're all waiting for. 
that we've seen them lose twice already to the Kings. Right. We've seen them lose in the confines of of uh, of Phoenix. And we've seen them lose in, 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 in environments that you're not really supposed to lose. And come postseason time, you're going to get Denver's best shot. You're going to get Utah's best shot. So that's my only concern to them is don't be too fixated on meeting the Lakers and, of course, taking it lightly on the other opponents in the Western Conference. Absolutely. And you talked about those couple of hic- hiccups. The thing is with the Los Angeles Clippers is I think that, you know, as we wind down to the, you know, the, the nitty gritty, what we call playoff basketball seating, um, I believe they're number three in the um, West right now, Sebi. Right. But when I look at their, their schedule, Sebi, you're going to start to see the Clippers dominate. Um, they, right now they're up. A, uh, they're up nine against a young, you know, a lot of with no expectation. Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, forty to thirty-one with ten twenty-seven in the second quarter. But when I pertaining to this Clippers basketball team, Sebi, one thing I love is the makeup. When I look at ability to acquire Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris this late, right. and still right. look like they've been on the team the entire season due to um, Doc Rivers' phenomenal staff and coaching uh, tandem with Tyron Lue and Sam Cassell. Hey, look, Sebi, this basketball team is absolutely for real. Now, the pressure right. and the magnitude of playing in the same arena as the Heralded Los Angeles Lakers is going to, I think, absolutely help them. Because what if I told you the pressure is going to switch from the Los Angeles Clippers to the Los Angeles Lakers? And you know why? And we got to talk about him. That guy, that bad, that guy that just doesn't look like he's getting any older, LeBron James. Yeah, he, 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 you know. You talk about a guy revolutionary, <laughs> uh, you know, that that's that's like is he human, Sebi? Tom Brady and, and LeBron James. I'd like to know what their diet is. You know, <laughs> I want to be eating what they're eating. LeBron James has been superb. Um, obviously, you know, a, a guy like that, I, it, it, there's many regrets in life. I, I used to be a LeBron hater, and I've told a lot of my guys uh. that back in high school, I couldn't fathom a guy that could be better than Michael Jordan. You know, wow. my, Michael Jordan to me was a guy that I, I looked upon and said, well, that is a guy, that's mm-hmm. the standard when I think about basketball. But when you look at LeBron James, you look at the, the totality, pantheon great of how elite this guy is. And, and you're 17, doing what he has to do to keep his team afloat without uh, the likes of Anthony Davis, yep. who's a top five uh, talent in the NBA. Absolutely. And, and what he's doing with the Los Angeles Lakers, with all that mileage, all that toll that he's got, it's, it's just unprecedented what he's done, Mitch. It's unprecedented, um, Sebi. You got to appreciate the great LeBron James. But what if I told you, uh, Sebi, and I, I'm not really into bold predictions. I'm just more of, you know, my Twitter handle is the sport guru. I just try to make uh, really uh, vivid uh, predictions. But most of all, speak the truth. And what I'm about to tell you is, Sebi, I think it all ends for LeBron James in Los Angeles. And I think it might end earlier than a lot of people participate, anticipate. Excuse me. And why the reason why I say that is, First of all, Sebi, you talked about the the tire on the the trade on that tire, Sebi. LeBron right. James, you know, thirty four years old, seventeen years in the league. You saw him the other night, very youthful and and, and dominated the young, uh, you know, puppy is what they call, it, and he's bigger than both of us combined, Zion Williamson. But <laughs> LeBron James, I think, I think it's going to come down to this, and I think uh, it's going to be either be injury or I think it's going to be Sebi. The Los Angeles Lakers see father time. And you know the thing about father time, Sebi? It doesn't bite you right now in the regular season. It doesn't, you know, get on your, your teaspoon of Robitussin. It bites you when you need it, and that's in the postseason. We saw with Peyton Manning a little bit. We saw a little bit of Kobe, rest in peace, being Brian a little bit. 
And we even saw a little bit with Dwayne Wade. And I'm talking about icon, iconic basketball players that took their franchise by storm. But for pertaining to LeBron James, I just don't see enough uh, cohesion and chemistry with Anthony Davis. And I just don't see them having enough talent, quite frankly, to beat the Los Angeles Clippers. Well, I, I would retort to that. I, 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 I've, I've learned, you know, in years not to put, not to go against the number 23. And, and oh, here's yeah. why. Obviously, you know, LeBron James, one can say, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. And, and Michael Johnson and my, excuse me, uh, Magic Johnson, excuse mm-hmm. me. Uh, uh, one of the best number one overall picks ever. Nobody's been a great than LeBron James. No, you know? nobody has. Even even since since high school, you know, this guy was getting looked at on TV, and that's never been done on ESPN until that 2002 season, right? Uh, going into that 03 draft uh, uh, there as well. But I've learned, you know, come postseason time, not to bet against LeBron James, and here's why. Obviously, he's he doesn't have the supreme athleticism that he had right. in, in his prime years in Miami or even his first years in first time, excuse me, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. But now everything to LeBron James is chess match, right? Everything is chess to him. You know, he, he's done it all. He's got nothing to prove. I think now we, we know what LeBron James legacy is. It's, it's not Michael, but we know that it's Pantheon great or, 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 or bus. And right. I think he came to Los Angeles he came to the Lakers. Rob Kalinka, Rob Kalinka gave this guy the keys to the organization and says, we want you to be the face of the Lake Show and to give us our 17th banner. And so with an Anthony Davis, right, mm-hmm. with the nucleus uh, that they have with the uh, uh, Danny Green and Avery Bradley and others, I'm not going to count this team out because mm-hmm. I think LeBron James and, and, and other aspects, I do worry about him in crunch time because exactly. the, 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 the Lakers are really bad and free throw at the free throw line right. and they're really bad in crunch time and we've seen LeBron James in crunch crucial moments pass the ball when he's supposed to <laughs> attack at the rim but I will say this LeBron James in a seven game series if he's not scoring he can impact a series so much no whether that be defensively whether that be with his passing he's number one in the NBA right now and assist to turnover ratio. He leads the NBA in assists. I think the totality of his game can impact a game, even if he's not scoring. And I think that's the biggest difference between a guy like Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Absolutely. Uh, I'm actually a little bit biased, and I, 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 I'm going to try to be as consistent as possible. I, I wouldn't waver. You know, a lot of people use death, and they try to jump on the bandwagon. But I've been a Kobe, Bean, Bryant, the Mamba, rest in peace, the late great Kobe, Bean, Bryant, fanatic, you know. And I always said that he was better than LeBron James for one reason. LeBron James is one of the best playmakers of all time. He's the best right. passer that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Of You know, when I, I turn on the film, I go, I'll, I'll, like you said, I'll still go with, you know, Urban Magic Johnson. But when I look at my lifetime, LeBron James is. But the thing is yeah. with Sebi that LeBron James has failed to do is win when it matters. And, you know, Sebi, the, 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 the misconstruing, the misconception is in sports is you have to have a great team around you. Well, guess what, Sebi? You don't get any better team really this year than when I look at, a, you know, on paper, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then when you incorporate a nice little bit of grizzled veterans when Roger Rondo and, you know, Avery Bally and then, you know, the reigning champion and Danny Green, and then you see the revitalized career of JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard, it's really no excuse but Sebi. 
When I tell you he's going to run into a wall called Father's Time, when I tell you he's going to run into the great Doc Rivers and Kawhi Leonard and company, I just don't see him having enough. He's leading, you know, he, this is a career year for him from a, a passing standpoint. I believe 10.4 assists in his 17 year. It's absolutely abysmal. It's absolutely ludicrous. It shouldn't happen. But when I see, and what you said, a great point, if he can't, um, if he's going to pass the ball to somebody who can't consistently make a shot, that could be a, a you know, Contavious Caldwell Pope. I understand they're working out, you know, J.R. Smith and um, Deion Waiters. Guess what? When I look across the court, I would rather pass the ball, Sebi, to Lou Williams. I would rather pass the ball, Sebi, to a Paul George. I even would right. rather pass the ball, Sebi, right now to a Landry Shamit. Um, and I, I just don't see LeBron James this year, at least, unless he um, some way, somehow uh, gets some help, which you know way he can't because of the rules in the NBA. I think right. it's a little bit more of next year. Rob Palenka's failure to be aggressive at the trade deadline is going to hurt this basketball team. Wow, wow, wow. That's that, that's a great intake there as well. And 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 like I said, the jury is on the is, is on LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the postseason. Not what they do in the regular season. We know the standard in the Lakers is chip or bus. Absolutely. Sure. That that that's gonna be a great narrative there as well. Um there for sure. I want to talk about a team that I adore so much, my beloved Boston oh, I knew Celtics. it was coming. I was waiting um, for it. Yeah, my beloved Boston Celtics. Nobody is a a bigger fan than bleeds green than I do. Right. And so um, this is a team uh, that's, I, I think there's a resurgence now. I, I think we now know that Jason Tatum, happy birthday to him, by the way, he's 22 years old. Absolutely. Uh, happy today. birthday to the young uh, man. He, he, he is now the face of, uh, of, uh, of the Boston Celtics. And I think Danny Ainge and, and, and Brad Stevens has kind of given the keys to that. Obviously that's helped with the absence of Kimball Walker, but, a guy here in the Orlando Magic's organization here in Central Florida once told me, and he was a scout, he said, if Jason Tatum can be the Boston Celtics' best player, maybe an A1 and maybe like Kemba could be like an A2 or like a Batman or Robin type thing right. that James and, and Kyrie had in Cleveland, that gives the Celtics the best chance to contend in the Eastern Conference and potentially a title. And I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, your best player cannot be 6'1". And, and and be a guy that, and not all possessions, but a, a lot of possessions, be 6-1 and be a defensive liability. If your name is not AI, you can't do it. And Absolutely. I looked at him, and I was like, he has a point. And so now you've seen that evolution of Jason Tatum, the the uh, the supreme guy, the the package, the smooth game, the the chosen one. And can you imagine? And and you have to bring this to you, Mitch. This is a, a guy that Rob Kalinka and the Lakers passed up on. They took Lonzo Ball over Jason Tatum. Can you imagine oh, LeBron James, Jason Tatum, and Anthony Davis now? That, I can, <laughs> oh, I can imagine on, it, and I, I kind of, you know, the, the ability uh, to not take Jason Tatum is similar to my beloved Wizards and Ernie Grunfeld taking Jan Vesely. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 But I want to focus you on the Boston Celtics to you. Winners mm-hmm. of 12 of their last 15. Um I, I know they had a one-point loss against the, the Rockets, a two-point loss against the Lakers, where, um, you know, Jason Tatum was the youngest player in the Celtics and Lakers rivalry to score 40. And so to you, the Boston Celtics, to me, I know I'm a homer here, I think they're the biggest threat to the Milwaukee Bucks, who stand at number one in, of course, all year long. So to you, where do the Celtics stand in, 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 in the measurement of you being a contender? Uh, I think it's it's unanimously uh, because of the great basketball culture. 
and the great system that Brad Stevens has instilled and the great uh, geographic, from a roster standpoint, of work that Danny H has done, you have a contender in the Boston Celtics. Sebi, I was fortunate, very, very blessed, and I still count my blessing to spend six months in the Boston area, Sebi. I lived in an area called Watertown, Massachusetts, and I also lived in the same area as that young man who's celebrating a birthday today, Jason Tatum, resided in. And I'll never forget, Sebi, uh, this, this will always re- I will always remember this moment. I went into a local diner for breakfast, and the uh, the waitress came up and asked me, uh, she saw my, my Nesson paraphernalia and asked me, do I know Jason Tatum? And, she, and I said, no, I do not. I don't know him. I haven't had any encounter uh, from a work standpoint either. And she said, oh, man, oh, man. And then she came back, Sebi, and she told me that her son is seven years old and watches Jason Tatum every day. So what I'm telling you is, Sebi, if a young, a young man can transcend a seven-year-old in the same uh, rigorous cultural area of Boston, Massachusetts, Watertown, exactly, you have a primetime superstar. This young man is humble. This young man went to a prominent, one of the best programs ever, and one of the best coaches ever to touch to uh, draw draw the plays up and touch a basketball on Mike Trzaskowski at Duke. When I look at this Boston Celtics team, I see a dynamic basketball team. I see Kimball Walker finally getting healthy. I see a young nucleus of Romeo Langford and Grant Williams finally looking like they're NBA players. But most of all, it's a young man, I think, that's going to take this team to the next step. You're going to see him. You know, you saw a little bit of the, you know, the the, for, the game, sh- the winning shot, excuse me, the force, uh, the shot to get to overtime, excuse me, with Jalen Brown uh, at, at the buzzer a couple nights ago. But when I look at this Boston Celtics team, Jalen Brown is that guy that can take them to the next level. He has the ability to impact the game on both ends of the court without touching the basketball. And that's because of his God-given athletic ability, but most of all, his IQ, his ability to get out of his spot and affect the defender and steal the basketball and give the, the Boston Celtics an extra possession, which you know you're going to need against Giannis and Antetokounmpo, is imperative. And then when you look at Brad Stevens' ability to draw plays, to out-coach and out-scheme his opposing coaches, you're looking at a finals contender. We all know about the, you know, the, the travesty that's going over in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, but they got to learn what a brother is and, and, and with chemistry in that locker room. Joe and Embiid and Ben Simmons, we all know, are not on the same page, and they got to get right. And that's the best thing for Boston Celtics this year. They're going to win that division, I think, and they're going to win, I believe, Sebi. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, I think they're going to be win the East and represent the East in the NBA Finals. Wow. Well, wouldn't that put a smile on my face, Mitch? Yeah, wouldn't that the glory days of the seas, the most richest franchise in the NBA. And I say that with proud, 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 proud there for sure. But I hear it. I want to go back with some of the stuff that you said. The Celtics. When you think about the Celtics here, you go back to the 80s. You you look at the forward spot, right? You had Kale. You can even add Dennis Johnson to that, right? And and, and the big three era, you had Paul Pierce and KG. Now you see... The, I believe it's the best young duo in the game and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I've even said outside of Kawhi Leonard, I think Jalen Brown is the best, second best two-way player in the game. No knock to Clay Thompson, no knock to Paul George or Jimmy Butler, ah, but I think... You got that, a little... You know, I just got a little bit of uh, anxiety in my voice when you said that just because of how good Bradley Bill has been on both sides of the court, but that's your take. I respect it. Right, yeah. And Bradley Bill, he, he, he is he's very good as well, but I think with the versatility of Jalen Brown and what he can do at the two, three, and four spot, 
has just revolutionized his game. To I get the versatility aspect. Yep. Right, right. But I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you here, Mitch. I've said this in the beginning of the season. I said Boston comes in this season the best perimeter shooting team in the Eastern Conference. Here's why they have four guys that can put the ball on the floor, that can create, dribble, 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 and pass and shoot. And that's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kimball Walker, and, of course, Gordon Hayward, which is Brad Stevens' guy. I think in the playoffs, when the nitty-gritty gets tight and you need guys to be able to create their own shots, that bodes well for the Boston Celtics there, for sure. Yes, sir. I want to bring this to you, and, and, and this is very ironic, and, and I, I, I don't know how to look at this team, right? So this team right here, and I'll, I'll state its name after. They're 2-0 against Indiana. They're 2-0 against ah. the Raptors. They're 2-0, and and the only team that's beaten the Bucs twice this year. They're 2-0 against the Bucs, and they're 3-1 and against Philly. If I can have course, a hint, I believe it's in that great state, state that you reside in. That's right, but of course they're over. <laughs> Boston Celtics, of course, and I'm talking about Miami Heat and yes, Pat Riley's sir. team. So where are they at? You know, they're obviously they've got great regular season records against all these teams outside of Boston. So Miami, with the additions of a Jay Crowder, with the additions of Andre Iguodala, given that veteran presence. So in a seven game series, they can have guys that can throw bodies out of Giannis, bodies out of Embiid. Where do you see this Miami Heat team? And what's their ceiling in the Eastern Conference? Shebby, what if I told you the most forgot about coach of all sports is Eric Spolstra. When I look at the story of Eric Spolstra, Shebby, a guy that was a video coordinator that Pat Riley just saw something about his, you know, his nonsense, his, the way he talked, the way he went about his business and film study. And then, the, you know, you know, we all know his situation with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and that great uh, trio of Chris Bosh. But then you see him win basketball games, Sebi, with Goran Dragic, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Harrow, and company. Even, you know, the Derrick Jones, uh, he, you know, the dunk contest uh, winner, I believe. I don't know if you robbed it or not, but I'm not the one, uh, you know, deliberating that. But listen, when I look at Eric Spoelstra's basketball team, Sebi, I see a basketball team, Sebi, that I don't care if you're the Milwaukee Bucks with the number one seed or even, I don't I think, what, the, uh, the, the Boston Celtics number two they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs and the reason why they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs is Sebi when you know your identity when you know who you are and when you know the team that you the team that you're going to go to the next arena with is going to get off the bus every time you have a chance and then when I look at Bam Adebayo I mean we talk about the great Kentucky players we can't forget them we cannot forget him. We cannot. Uh, John Calipari said in an interview that he's one of the, he's going to be an absolute stud because he can defend the one to five, and he meant that in a press conference. I'm, I'm looking at this this uh, Miami Heat basketball team. I love Bam Adebayo. I think he's so underrated. I think he can be, you know, statistically this year. I think he's a top four big man in the league. And anytime right. you can get a triple double without anybody in your team that that you know of, unless you watch basketball religiously like me and you do, that's a testament to his skill set. He affects the, 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 he affects the game on both sides of the court, and he has a soft touch. I believe he's shooting very efficiently from the three and outside with the mid-range from the elbow position. I really like the, Mil, the, excuse me, the Miami Heat, and I wouldn't be surprised if they give the Milwaukee Bucks a run for their money, uh, if not in the opening round, depending on how the seedings uh, you know, uh, pan out. I'm looking at them in the next round as a guy, Sebi, you do not want to see. And boy, I tell you, it's something about that Miami weather. It's something about that Florida weather. You know that's going to be a raucous playoff environment. 
Oh yeah, no, dude. One of the more hostile environments in the NBA, there for sure. You talk about the, you know, the Jazz uh, uh, Arena. You talk about even um, Chesapeake Energy Arena with Oklahoma City. Miami is ruckus, and it, it reminds me of Duke, oh, right? Good, the college crazy. atmosphere. It is loud. I mean, I've I've been in, in inside the confines of American Airlines Arena. When I tell you, it is unlike any other. Probably one of the more underrated fan bases in the NBA. But hey, I would agree with you, Mitch. You know, <laughs> I, I would agree with you here. And as it stands right now, Miami's the four seed, four seed Milwaukee's okay. the one seed. And they would meet in the second round. And I'm here to tell you, Mitch, I'm ready to make a bold prediction. I think the Miami Heat will beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series as it stands right now. And here's why. And you've mentioned it. You know their identity, right? Styles meets fights. And I think Miami, they're, they're just a whole bunch of dogs. You talk about it starts off with their leader and Jimmy Butler. It trickles down to Bam Adebayo and then Tyler Hero. Miami is second in the NBA in, th- in, in three-point shooting. Second in the NBA. Robinson, Tyler Hero and others. I think if there's one weakness with this Milwaukee mm-hmm. team, it's guarding the three-point line. And what I know about Miami, they're going to take them, and eventually they're going to make them. I'm ready to say I think the Miami Heat has the ingredients and the recipe to beat the Milwaukee Bucks in a seven-game series. Ah, Sebi, not so fast, my friend. Just a little bit too much, uh, an- you know, anxiety uh, in your voice. A little bit too much. I'm not sure if you've been inebriated, but I just don't see the Milwaukee Bucks, Sebi, losing in the playoffs, just because of how unprecedented of a season they have. We can look at from a record standpoint, how they absolutely shattered the Golden State Warriors record from 2016 to 2017. But when I look at this Milwaukee Bucks team, Sebi, I think, what if I told you, Sebi, they knew that there's a possibility of them seeing each other in that next round. And you know how sports are, Sebi, you know how, you know, the Lamar Jacksons, you know, play against a team and then they get in the postseason and get, absolutely dominated. I think that's what's going to happen, unfortunately, this year with the uh, Miami Heat if they get matched up with the Milwaukee Bucks because I think Mike Bodenhoser does an unbelievable job of changing his game cha- changing his game plan, excuse me, emphatically uh, depending on matchups. And then secondly, Sebi, I would like to tell you of a team that I can make a bold prediction if I could that I think will actually have a better chance of beating the uh, Milwaukee Bucks in the Miami Heat, uh, even though they have a phenomenal regular season, record season a record-beating teams, and that's the Indiana Pacers, Sebi. I love this I team. Agree. I look at the makeup, Sebi. I look at the DeMontis Sabonis. What an underrated big man in the league. And then you got a guy that's itching, a guy that's itching to get back on that stage. He's healthy, I believe. I think they said he's about probably like 93%. Now it's Victor Oladipo. But then you you look at guys like TJ Warren. You look at guys like Miles Turner. And then you look at Nate McMillan, a guy who's – you know, you think of any coach, uh, Sebi, uh, you can – you know, we're not we're not pulling the, the the you know the race card or any of that stuff. You look at Nate McMillan from a playing career in the NBA to a coaching career. I think it's absolutely been sound. He's consistent and he hasn't got the players that he needed. He went out in free agency and asked Larry Bird to get him some help, and he got Jeremy Lamb and T.J. Warren. So what I'm telling you is, I like this Indiana Pacers team. They've been absolutely dominant. And when I look at Malcolm Brogdon, he's starting to click. He's starting to look like that Malcolm Brogdon that was in Milwaukee. I like the Indiana Pacers a little bit more than the Mil- the than the Miami Heat, unfortunately. Wow, and hey, and I, I can't retort to that. I think Indiana, once they get their leader back in Victor Oladipo, is going to be the wild card. Yeah, because Dave McMillan to me is an underrated coach. He always one thing about him, he always gets his team prepared. Yep, that you never see lack 
of effort as a problem for the Indiana Pacers. One thing you can count on them is always effort. And I think that it, they, they take the personality of their coach. And I think you can bold that bodes well for them once their leader comes back in Indiana. But lastly here, I, I want to talk about the, uh, the Raptors, the defending champions. They, why not? Why not us? They're saying, why not us? Wow. They're saying, why not us? We're the defending reigning uh, uh, champions. I, I think they're looked upon as, you know, a Kawhi Leonard team and rightfully so Kawhi really carried them to that title. But one thing with them is a lot of people forgot the nucleus of this team went 17 and five last year in 22 games that Kawhi Leonard sat and Nick nurse to me, boy, he can coach. Right. And, and, and they still got everybody intact. They, they basically have Pascal Siakam as their leader. Now they're, they're rising star and ascending and an all-star this year. Uh, this year in Chicago and OG Adenoli, I think they they have the depth that the Milwaukee Bucks have, and and right, that somewhere in Toronto, Drake is saying, "Why not them?" Your thoughts on that? Oh uh, man, how could you forget uh, the reigning champs? And that's what happens when the NBA is one of the better leagues of America, the best basketball uh, uh, league in America in the world. Excuse me, from a global standpoint. Um, but pertaining to America and pertaining to a team that's not in America, the Toronto Raptors. I look at a team, uh, Sebi, they're, they're going to go as far as Pascal Siakam. He rose to the stage last year in the finals. I believe it was, what, 32 points in his first game ever in the finals. The, in a, you, we'd be remiss the first time the Raptors have ever been to the finals. And then they got a young man that I think that's a little underrated. Maybe, maybe it's because of a, 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 you know, a, a tricky finger injury or a thumb injury, and that's Norman Powell. This young man, Sebi, for some reason, he knows how to score the basketball. And when you got a, a grizzled veteran that you know what you're going to get out of Kyle Lowry and Marcus Saul, and you add a guy like Norman Powell from a, the two-guard standpoint, they're going to have a chance to win. The biggest thing is, though, will that translate against, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers? Will that translate against the Milwaukee Bucks or even the Indiana Pacers? What I'm telling you is we don't have the problem, I think, anymore, Sebi, of the NBA you know, parity level. I think the East is as dominant as it's ever been, and that's not because LeBron James left. I think it's because teams have done a great due diligence of player development. It's no way guys turning to Bam Adebayo, DeMontis Sabonis, if they don't have great scouts and great coaches. And what you're seeing, Sebi, is the East starting to develop that consistency. No, it's nowhere near the West, the wild, wild West, but it's getting there day by day. And I would agree there. You talk about player development. Massey Algeria has done great. I think oh him and Danny Ainge are the brains in the Eastern Conference. You talk about the development of a Pascal Siakam. OG Adenobi. This is a guy that, you know, came in the league as a, a defensive specialist because of his prowess defensively as a perimeter yep. defender. He's blossomed as, as, as an offensive player now. And, of course, uh, Fred Van Vliet, who I think, I think it's, it's how he goes – is where the Raptors will go. I think him and Larry will dictate how far the Raptors go rather than uh, a Siakam, but that's just my opinion there. And, of course, Chris Boucher and their bench rotation, They're like I said, they're one of the deeper teams in the NBA. And, of course, their their rim protector and Mark Gasol should be back in a couple of weeks. I think the Raptors, along with the Celtics, I, to me, are live dogs to come out of the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. And you know what? You know, you know, I think a chess piece that you talked about Messiah, a jury has to work with, and that's Nick Nurse. I mean, Sebi, right. when you have the ability to win a national, uh, excuse me, an NBA Finals uh, chip, and you know, be the the top dog of the NBA, that gets unforgettable because you guys, you know, go to the Lakers, 
and they, they, they try to get these super teams. And then they, they look and see that a guy that went over and won, you know, reigning finals MVP, you know, he wants to go to L.A. as well. So yeah. it, it, it is suitable to forget them. But that's why I love the game of basketball. That's why I love the NBA, because it has a great job of reminding you, but also keeping you humble. And the thing is with Nick Nurse is his team, his coaching staff, they know what they are. They're, they're not going to do anything in the playoffs differently. But I will tell you is you will possibly see Pascal Siakam turn into, I'm going to tell you, the best premier four in the NBA. When I look at Pascal Siakam, his story, when I look at him, how small he was, the ability to gain weight, the ability to check, um, you know, at times Kevin Durant and at times uh, Sebi, Stephen Curry in the, in the finals last year, and then to translate that, go to the offseason, only get better, you know, consistently, I think he improved his jumper. It's it's a little bit more uh, guaranteed than last year. But the thing is with Pascal Siakam is he's turned into a renowned leader. I, I hate to tell you, I don't think that's no longer Kyle Lowry's team. I think it's Pascal Siakam's because the thing is with sports is they have a great job of embracing your story. They saw where he came from. They saw how he has risen. And Nick Nurse's system, I think, has absolutely propelled his career. Yeah, 100%. Well, I, an elite coach in in this game there for sure uh i want to stay in the east uh uh, real quick here and the guy that you know as well he's bradley bill Uh, he's asserted himself right now he's second the nba in scoring this guy what a role is is he on and and when he said that that all-star snub that the real ones know man i i think he really took that personally and what type of run is Bradley Bill on right now? It, it's 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 just unbelievable, Mitch. Uh, Sebi, I can't really describe the words of Bradley Bill's consistency and you know, makeup and story for this year's Washington Wizards. Sebi, a lot of people thought this young man Bradley Bill was going to take the flight and join the Great Lakers. Everybody I was calling well. for him. I think even the Rockets inquired about him. But I got to give a lot of credit to the new interim. I think they're going to give him the job and Tommy Shepard. I think, Sebby, if Ernie Grunfeld was still in the room, I think we would no longer be able to appreciate Bradley Bill. But Tommy Shepard said, hey, Scott Brooks, we're going to have to build this team around Bradley Bill. And Bradley Bill said he appreciated the way they treated him in free agency. They had a lot of input with, you know, free agency moves and, you know, guys like Thomas Bryant coming back and even I think even with the John Wall situation, Bradley Bill had a lot of input of how this team picked, even Rui Hiruchimara with the early pick. But Bradley Bill's been sensational. He's been consistent. And anytime, Sebi, you can play for the Washington Wizards, but not only play, you know, 58 games, he's going to probably play all 82. If not 82, I believe it'll probably be about 75. Miss only seven. This young man has been phenomenal. Sebi, when I look at a, a pure... Shooting guard, I'm going with it. I think he's the best in the league. Even though James Harden plays the the two guard, I think he's ball dominant and doesn't get a lot of credit um, because of the system. Excuse me, gets too much credit because of the system that Mike D'Antoni caters toward him. Bradley Bill's not getting that. Bradley Bill is with Scott Brooks' system. He's getting the ball from Ishmael. He's looking on the wing. His best asset is Royal Richie a little bit of Isaac Bonga, Troy Brown Jr. But he's not playing with, you know, the guys like, even Damian Lillard's playing with. He's playing with guys that, per se, if we were all at the YMCA and the NBA, none of those guys in the Wizards <laughs> will qualify. They wouldn't get any run. They would have to go outside, right. Sebi, in the back and get some shots up. The Washington right. Wizards and Bradley Bill is a remarkable story, Sebi, and it's a testimony that you don't have to trade your superstar to try to win 
for next year. What you do is you you build a culture. And Bradley Bill has cultivated that culture. And most of all, he has paid for what he put in. You know, everybody riddled him, you know, make comparisons. Early in his career, uh, Sebi, they compared him to Steph Curry. They didn't think he could stay healthy. They thought that, right. um, you know, the hype of being compared to Ray Allen, even if I'd be remiss to Yeah, that, that was my guy. I thought he'd be Ray Allen because that sharp shooting. That sharp shooting, you know, you, you're a Florida guy, so you know. But the thing is with yeah. Bradley Bill, what I love is, Sebi, his ability to improve from a defender standpoint, the ability to, you know, develop confidence. Hey, I'm going to check the team's best player. And he's tried to do that. I don't know if you saw him last night. Even though Andrew Wiggins had 27, the Wizards still won by a heftier range. Uh, because of Bradley Bill's impact on the defensive standpoint. I love Bradley Bill. I'm excited for his future in Washington. And thank God Tommy Shepard is the one pushing the buttons. Definitely there for sure. If he keeps this up, man, he's probably going to – he's obviously going to earn himself an all-NBA all selection and maybe creep up on that second team and not even be on that third team. So a lot of stuff that is going well for the Washington readers. We are highly anticipated to see how – himself and John Wall both. I think they should continue building the team around Bradley Bill, even when their leader, John Wall, returns next season. And, and Mitch, as we wind down and close here, any last thoughts before we leave here tonight? Oh, Chevy, man, what a ball. What a what an enlightenment from Lou uh, from the combine. What an enlightenment from yourself talking about these great sports. But I would be remiss if I didn't just emphasize how much we're praying for my confidant and my good friend, Michael Gray and his family. But most of all, Sebi, I got a lot of love and appreciation for allowing me the opportunity to jump on this great podcast. And folks, if you're not already listening, if you're not already downloaded it on all platforms, please go get the Sebi podcast. He's a phenomenal young man. His future's bright. And I'm very fortunate to be teaming up with him very soon. Definitely there for sure. Uh, all our hearts go out there for Michael Gray as uh, he is in tough times now. And of course, <laughs> thanks to you for all of the kind words uh, that you've done. And it was our pleasure to have you filling in for my man, Mike Gray with us here. And, and the pleasure is all mine. And we hope to have you more times to come. God willing. Uh, we'll see what happens, but we're definitely, whether it's a podcast, whether it's articles, we got a lot of teamwork because you're talented and a lot of people want to hear what you got to say. But we appreciate the, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, like I said, we're praying for Michael Gray, and that's all from Mitch tonight. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Sebi. Definitely there for sure. Now, before you leave here, Mitch, quickly, tell all of our listeners in the audience that are tuning in live or later on once they download it, where they can find you and any of your social media platforms. Absolutely. My name is Rodney L. Mitchell Jr. My Twitter handle is the sport underscore guru. That's T-H-E capital S-P-O-R-T underscore guru. It's the same thing for Instagram. And my podcast is with that guy that we're praying for, Michael Gray. You can hear that on Anchor. And that's You Don't Know Sports with Mitch and Mike. Definitely there for sure. And as we wind down here in the Central Florida area, we want to say so long from now from WNSC Radio. We'll see you guys soon. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The Sebi Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there. 
at sebipodcast.info. Some cool merch. If you want to DM us and send us all of your email requests, we'll be sure to get them here on the Sebi Podcast experience. And remember, folks, whether you're listening on air or viewing online, Sebi Podcast is wherever you go. And that is the slogan.